Welcome to On Strategy Showcase. This is Fergus in Chicago. As always, you can follow me on Twitter. You can sign up for new episodes, alerts on our website, or you can, as always, see all of the uh, creative work associated with this and our other, I think, roughly 100 episodes on our website at uh, onstrategyshowcase.com. Today, we talk with Rory Foster. Rory is a planner at Wyden and Kennedy in London. We talk about Lurpak and the work Wyden has done for the brand over the last 10 plus years. Lurpak is a premium butter used primarily in home cooking and in baking. In its campaigns since roughly 2007, it had celebrated home cooking and the brand had generated strong results. But in a convenience-obsessed culture, cooking at home was struggling. Home delivery of restaurant-quality food and healthier prepared meals from local supermarkets meant good-tasting meals didn't require cooking at home. Even though people loved cooking shows and platforms that celebrated cooking, they still weren't cooking more at home themselves. So the brand pivoted from celebrating how we cook to celebrating why we cook. And the campaign, of course, could not have been more timely for the brand because it was around this time that lockdown started and the actual campaign had been in development before lockdown. So lockdown started just as the campaign was ready to launch and it, in essence, created the demand and desire for cooking at home that the brand was attempting to create with the campaign. So this is the story of how it all happened, the story of Allure Pack with Rory Foster. Enjoy. So I'm excited to do the show today. Um, um, there's a lot of interesting things going on in, in this category and, and in culture that, that affect this category greatly, and we're going to hear about this. I also love uh, stories that have some history, Rory. So we're going to start this conversation out back in 2007, I think, when Wyden first won the business, and then we're going to talk about how things evolved uh, over the years. So uh, I always love stories like that. We uh, we did a um, we did a show a couple of months back on uh, Tesco and Tesco's um, a campaign food love stories, and I just recently did a uh, an episode for Work on Aldi and their um, their progress and sustained growth over many years. So they're exciting things. And I think it's interesting to see where brands get involved in, uh, in what supermarkets used to do. And, and supermarkets are getting involved in, in ways of marketing food in ways that they didn't do before. And I, I think that this is a great example uh, with this case study of, of, of that work. And I think it's really interesting. So Rory, great to have you here. Thank you so much, Fergus. Lovely to be on the show. And and Rory, you can hear Rory has that great voice. So Rory uh, <laughs> came out of student radio and the BBC. So you know he's legit. You're a legit voice man. I'll try myself. I can. The, the voice sounds good. Who who knows about the strategy? But um, so I, I guess fast. in meetings sometimes people say, "Let's just put Rory on the stage, and so he can talk, and we can hear his voice." <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure I, I you know read read a decent manifesto. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Sure. Yeah, you're, you're the manifesto guy. So, so thanks for being here. We're talking about Lurpak, and um, yep. I, I'm really interested. In, and I like to ask people to be, at the beginning of episodes. At least I've been doing it recently. Can you describe briefly what this case is a great example of, in your opinion? Yeah, uh, for me, I think what I'm what I think is so interesting about this is it's it's a brand, a very well established brand finding a new way of talking about what it's always talked about a slightly like new meaning 
to something it had, it had grown and talked about for a very long time, but without conceding the ground it had built around that. Um, it was always the balance of moving the brand on, but not losing the important things it had built over a, over a long period of time. So tell us what, what is, um, I had never heard of Lurpak before, uh, um, yeah, up until a couple of weeks ago, tell people what Lurpak is and, and what its product range is. Not in America, is it? Um, but is it, it not, is it not in the U S I think, I think unless someone's importing it very, especially, yeah, yeah, like, maybe I, I don't stores. think it's, yeah. Um, but it, but for the most part, no. So, so Lurpak is a, a premium butter brand. Um, originally uh, from Denmark, and uh, it's a lactic butter, so it's a pale butter, um, and it's it's got a variety of uses, you know, cooking, but it also comes in spreadable, um, put it on toast, put it on sandwiches, um, and it's been in the UK uh, for a really long time, very successful, it's, a, it's the biggest market for them, is, is the UK market, um, and in the UK, it's, it's one of the biggest brands in the category aside for the, for the own brands. Now, my understanding is that it's it's a premium brand. It has a premium price point, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. So it's uh, it's it's a premium player for sure. So when you know, I was just thinking before we started the recording that when we talk about when we talk about butter, um, butter isn't only used in cooking. And I'm, I was curious: do you have a general sense mm. of what percentage of butter is in cooking and baking versus toast and and uh, bread and uh, sandwiches and other applications for it, other use occasions. Yeah, it does. It varies a fair bit by by the form of the product. So we, we have a block butter, uh, and block is used a lot in cooking and baking. But then we also have the spreadable, the tubs, um, and there'll be a lot of spreading. Um, unsurprisingly, in, in, in those ones, um, like spreading sandwiches and toast does make up a, a really big part of it. Um, but to us, especially to the Lurpak brand, because we've we've built a positioning around cooking, the cooking element is is like crucial to to what we try to communicate in terms of in terms of keeping the brand relevant as much as anything else. And I assume there's a halo effect across the entire product offering. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So we tend to lead with the block uh, when we're when we're talking as a as a brand. But whenever we do that, we see a huge uplift in sales across across the whole range. So who else is in that space that you guys compete against in the mid and premium level? Arla, who own Lurpak, they also have a few other BSM, butter spread margarine players, Anchor. And we're also competing with Flora, who are a margarine spread at a slightly lower price point. Right. And then you've got all the own brand supermarkets and also the, especially in places like Aldi and Lidl, but also done in the other supermarkets in the UK as well. You've got people who tend to kind of rip off the Lurpak brand as well. So we'll do their own lactic butter or lactic butter spread uh, at a lower price point and sort of imitate the, the brand. So is, is lactic butter, is that a sort of a sub-segment of the category? No, I mean, um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a certain type of butter. So to anchor is a sweet cream butter, it's yellower butter. Um, some people know the difference. A lot of people will just think they like one more than the other without really realizing why. Uh, it tends to be a personal taste thing more than anything else. So it's not lactate-free kind of a butter. It's not one of those no, sub no, no, segments. No, no, okay. no, no. no. So like it's that. a mass. It's a mass market. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, butter. absolutely. Yes. So um, my understanding is back in 2007, that's when Wyden won the business. Before then, I've been trying to look for examples of the old campaign to maybe drop it <laughs> in here. 
but I believe it's a it's a mascot. That was the way that they like. I mean, how are they approaching things from a creative strategy point of view before Wyden yes. came along? Yes, we had. Uh, I say we the the brand had Douglas, uh, who was this trombone playing mascot. Um, Jeez, sort good. of stands stand on a kitchen table and and sort of talk about talk about food and talk about butter and players trombone and uh, it was animated by Ardman who are a Bristol based animation company who's you know, very very popular and, and Douglas was a very popular character you can uh, you still see if you go around a kind of car boot sale in the UK you'll probably find a a, a Douglas butter tray here or there. Some things are worth paying a little more for, like Lurpak. Butter. Made from a delicious blend of the finest creams, only Lurpak has that fresh, smooth, sophisticated. It was, uh, it was, yeah, so the, the work was successful in the sense of being uh, recognized and attributed to Lurpak um, and must have been you know, way, way before my time, but a, a, a very bold thing to sort of sacrifice uh, the equity built up in, in Douglas. Um, but what that approach was struggling to do was communicate taste credentials, which uh, are the most important thing to, to get across when, when you're a premium butter is to try and convince people that you taste a bit better. So was it always, was it known as a Danish brand or was it thought of as being English at that point? Did it lean in on its origins? Be a good, no, so we don't, we don't go after the sort of heritage angle explicitly. Um, I think it'd be a good quiz question. I'd like to know the percentage of people who know it's from Denmark. I, th- I think people are aware it's 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 not a British brand through and through, but um, it, it's built. We we don't really touch on on that as a as a point in our communications. So back in back in two thousand seven, when you guys won the business, there was this uh, idea of uh, good food deserves Lurpak, right? So that was yes. the basis upon which, or the platform upon which you sort of won the business um i'm assuming you weren't on the business in 2007 but do you have a sense of what that was an answer to was that an answer to the issue of taste and then why was taste an issue or was it just seen as an opportunity yes absolutely so it it was in response to again douglas lovely douglas playing his trombone and, and talking about butter but not really convincing people that lurpak was was better um, and then the, the Wyden Kennedy approach was to go, look, okay, it's not, you know, you can't just tell people, you have to make people feel, feel that you, you, that the butter is tastier, that you, you care more about it. And so Good Food Deserves Lurpak was an attempt to sort of be the, the champion of what we defer, define as good food. So cooking from scratch, you know, being picky about your ingredients, caring about the world of food and the world of ingredients. Um, and in doing so, treating it in a very premium way, in a delicious way, trying to get as close as possible to the food and the and the, the taste cues of that food. Um, and so Good Food Deserves Slurpak sort of rattled that up um, and, and delivered it in a, in a much more sort of emotional approach rather than a rational approach to, to talking about taste. You know, if you, were ta- if you were championing the process of cooking, you were implying that the, the butter at the center of that was, was tastier and, and, and knew what cooking a lot better. In this place of pots and pans and slightly blunt knives, lives the cook. Not for her, the ready meal, 
weaves magic. The kind that brings people to her door. This isn't Hocus Pocus. The cook has powers, imagination, fearlessness, a pinch of faith. Measure of Murpak butter. Yes, this is the cook in her place of her pots and her pans and slightly blunt knives. And so back back then, uh, it seems to me that there was at that time the um, that whole idea in pop culture of cooking programs, and it was more cooking than baking at that time. Mm-hmm. It seems to be it's more baking now in terms of these shows, right? But there was this sort of major, at least here in the U.S. at that time there was this sort of big push for uh, uh, cooking at home and sort of democratizing the skills of cooking and baking that were coming through in shows over here, like, you know, Emerald Lagasse. And then of course we've had the Gordon Ramsay mm-hmm. onslaught for, for many, many years. Was that part of the reason why you guys went to this idea of cooking from scratch uh, in, back in 20, 2007? I mean, it's because it's interesting that, you could have gone in in, in the uh, into the the idea of heritage. It seems to me that back then maybe buttery spreads and butters were less about taste and cooking and more about farms and cows. I mean, you know, it's almost like you you moved into a category where the product is used rather than focus on the category or the, the heritage of the brand. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's yes. That that is an interesting point, and um. Of course, I'm going to try and speak for um, creators and planners from from uh, quite a long time ago. Um, I, I think that the challenge with the heritage is again, it's it's sort of it, it's something you just have to tell people, and they can either accept it or not. It doesn't. It's very hard to land. You know, aside from sort of showing the rolling hills and the cows eating the grass in the pasture, it's very yeah. hard to sort of own that area. And I I think what taking a stand in cooking does is just elevate the brand above those rational claims and, and just says, look, if, if we're standing for cooking this delicious food uh, and, and making it mean more, then, then we must be the tastiest particle. Otherwise, you know, yeah, that's how you're getting to this food. Um, I, I think we, whenever we've tried to talk rationally, it's just so much harder to get people to really believe it on something like butter. Do you have a sense of what was going on in culture at that time that made, made you feel that you could really encourage the home cook or the home baker to use this brand by celebrating how they use it was was it part of the whole cooking show in popular culture that was feeding into that do you think i think i think there was an element of that i mean it's something that the the brands in more recent years went on to to tackle kind of head on because actually that that culture around content of cooking started to become almost a bit more of a, a barrier to cooking than a than a reason to cook, um, which is interesting in of itself. Um, what, what do you mean by that? So there's a campaign, we're talking, I think, uh, 2014, 2015. There was a point where people were kind of, you know, that was when cooking shows had really taken off. I mean, there was huge, you know, in the UK, we had things like MasterChef and, yeah. and, and now we have Bake Off. And, it was a, and then 
you know, social media was ripe with, uh, you know, look at all these re- this recipe inspiration and YouTube, you go on, there's just a huge amount of content around food and cooking. And people loved it and people got really, really into it. Um, but they still wouldn't cook. <laughs> they would just sort of, you know, it was entertainment. Oh, this is nice to look at. Yeah, nice to look at delicious food. <laughs> and so we had a campaign all around, you're not a cook until you cook, which which explicitly took on the barrier to cooking that, you know, you're, it's it's not, is it's not good enough to just like food you you know cooking is an important part of the of the process so you like cooking shows buy all the books follow this hashtag that but here's the thing nothing compares to the thrill of a hot kitchen it's time to get your hands dirty again Smell the magic. Hear the crackles. Touch heaven and hell with your fingers. You see, you're not a crook until you cook. So what are you going to be? Spectator or player? Strap on your aprons. In reach for the Lurpak. So that wasn't a response to the fact that that we were dealing with, uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit while. In a little while, it, that wasn't a reaction to sort of the convenience seeker. That was more of a re- no, reaction. No. So tell us more about that because some of the headlines. I'll just read some of them out here. A couple of them were: Triumph never came out of a microwave. Uh, you're not a cook until you cook. Best when the oven doesn't go ping. That was sort of trying to nudge people. Yeah, I mean, love those lines. Um, they're, yeah, they're, it's great. I mean, because we've always tried to champion, be the champion of, of cooking, of getting you not just to love food but to love cooking. Sort of anything that can get in the way of you cooking, we we have the we, we have the permission to take on. So whether that be again like a, a hard day's work, or whether it be um, also or, and all manner of things, what Lerpat tries to do is is show you why cooking is a is a is a better reason to do that and that's what those lines are trying to do and, and if you look at i mean most lurpak work or most lurpak campaigns pick off a reason or a barrier to cooking in it to some extent um and it's just that the ones that in the campaign that we'll get onto there was a slightly different problem that was occurring like if you all of those like you know a lot of those lines or around trying to show that actually, particularly that checker potato one, best when the oven doesn't go pig, is saying that if you cook it, it will be tastier. The campaign broke, you know, post uh, 20, uh, 2007 with Good Food Deserves Lower Pack, uh, with the brand as being the champion of good food. You guys see, uh, the brand sees terrific growth over many years, almost 10 years. And, um, and then things start to sort of shift in, in, in popular culture, uh, in, in, um, in food, in fresh prepared food, in restaurant quality food. Um, and then I'm assuming this then stirs a new brief from the client. Can you tell us what was happening and then what, what was the client ask? Yeah. So, um, in general, what was happening was we were seeing, um, so BSM occasions of butter spread margarine occasions were, were kind of consistently slipping year on year. 
Um, and that is obviously problematic, and fewer people using butter spreads and margarine, and fewer people going to, to, to use Lurpak, and fewer people going to buy it. And there were a few few reasons for that. Um, you know, in, increase in, in using oils or other non-dairy spreads and various other things. But what we what we also spotted alongside this data was that in general people were cooking less. And at the time, what we were most worried about is that people more and more were having uh, the opportunity to use things like Deliveroo, Uber Eats, the, the supermarkets had improved their sort of premium ready meals range. And it's something we talked about a lot in terms of premium convenience. But in the past, we'd always taken on the, the, the ready meal, but ready meals were seen as these sort of like last resort, cheap, you know, quick, not necessarily particularly tasty um, options. But now you had these brands like Charlie Bigham's in the UK, or again, being able to deliver restaurant quality food. And this was a real problem because suddenly there was an, a way to get kind of tasty, truly tasty food quickly, conveniently. And that meant that cooking just for taste wasn't wasn't enough. People go, well, I don't need to cook to get tasty food because I can I can get a, I can get a Deliveroo, or I can get a Charlie Bigham's. And this this was the concern, both because of that, but also because of that meant the, the cultural relevance of cooking then was was lessening. It was weakening. Like why why bother to cook? Um, and and that was as much of a concern as the the actual numbers. I'm curious, what did what did the sort of the planning group, and I'm assuming you're on board at this time? Yes, this is just about at the point where I joined the joined the team actually. So at the start of this process. Um, so so what what are you what are you guys doing to sort of get out there and understand um, maybe surfacing some different ways in? What did the planning group do? So one of the things that we do quite a lot of on Lurpak and to the client and to the whole team's credit. Um, they really do invest in in qualitative research. So uh, we work with the fantastic guys at Folk. Shout out to Folk, love them, um, who um, help us kind of not just do focus groups to to just ask people, you know, why are you cooking? Are you cooking more? Are you cooking less? But we do, we you know, we get into people's kitchens um, nice. and stand there and watch them cook and see, look in their fridges and talk to them about what they're doing in in that moment. And I think it does make a big difference uh, to, to what people say and do because they're they're at their home, they're they're comfortable, they're doing what they love, uh, and you get a proper response. Do they know why you were in their home, and did you pre-select Lurpak users, or did or to the degree that you can remember, did you guys pre-select Lurpak users, or was it just sort of category users? Um, I believe it is a combination of category and low users. And so for you, what do you remember sort of coming out of that research that struck you as a planner back then when you kind of looked at, you know, what they had discovered or what you guys had discovered together? Well, I think that the thing that really sparked the, the whole process from, from there on was, was that people, we were, we were talking to people about all sorts of things. Like we do this research as much to to get a sense of of cooking habits and and what people are cooking to to help think creatively and executionally about the work, but also we did want to find out like what why are you cooking what what makes you love food and love cooking uh, to to help inspire other people, and what we heard back was that actually you know rather than just oh because I want to make something nice and tasty, 
there are a huge number of reasons why people did cook that were actually far beyond just their their immediate needs or wants. It was as as you know a, a huge spectrum from from uh, the selfish reasons of well I you know I, I'm hungry I need to eat and I like eating tasty things but up, up to uh, you know it cheers up my daughter it brings the whole family together when they're being a right pain you know i put something delicious in the middle of the table and it, it shuts everyone up and we have a wonderful time to um it's it's better for the planet if i cook uh, i'm using up things in the fridge and it feels great to achieve that um even even kind of a you know mental well-being that i've had a you know i've had a hard day at work i'm not feeling myself and i can kind of retreat into the world of the kitchen and just relish in the moment of just creating this this one delicious thing so that was the sort of the home cook experience, that research, that sort of ethnography around cooking. Yeah. And then you had this other reality, which was the major factor, which was the convenience-seeking aspect of culture. Did you discover anything about the motivation behind delivery that you were able to use later in the strategy? That's a good question. What the delivery thing un- unlocked was we need to find a reason why people would cook that isn't just they want to make something tasty. Like taste was no longer on its own enough. We needed to find a higher benefit to cooking that could motivate people to cook. And that was then what we looked for in the research. And when we heard these things of, oh, I'm cooking for to, to, to make my family happy, I'm cooking to make myself happy, to learn new skills, or I'm cooking to help the planet I'm, I'm using stuff up it was like right okay this is great there are lots of reasons why people are cooking beyond just taste and that was exactly what we needed were you guys at that time thinking we have got to increase our share of home cooks who are um using competitive butters or were you thinking we have to convince more people to cook at home the latter, I think it's it's it was about looking at the overall pattern of of consumption and cooking and going, what can we do to to change this trend to move it on? And as I was saying uh, a bit earlier, it wasn't purely about a numbers thing. It was also we need to defend cooking's cultural relevance because if that slips, the brand slips too. Right, uh, and, and without without cooking feeling like it was a, a valuable point. In the world, suddenly your positioning of the brand that champions cooking from scratch and good food doesn't look quite as meaningful if if no one cares about doing it. What would you say was sort of the strategic pivot that you guys recommended that? So you, you're facing this issue of, of convenience, people getting food delivered, restaurant quality food being delivered to the home, restaurant quality food being available in supermarkets, uh, pre-prepared meals. Um, then you're dealing with the ethnography getting insights into the the uh, the home cook what does it all roll up to what do you what do you go back and recommend because you've you've got to you've got to make a strategic shift yeah i think what we were looking for is to find uh, find that reason that people would be motivated to cook beyond just the taste of the food and i think the research enabled us to go look there are actually loads of reasons why people are cooking and we can talk about these and leverage these in our communications and a way to get people back into the kitchen. So our approach was to, rather than purely talk about the process of cooking and the taste in of itself, was to go, look, what this does in the world, the impact of the process of cooking, 
uh, is as important and as valuable to us as a brand and as a message. Just kind of thought about it as going from celebrating how we cook to celebrating why we cook. So it's mm. it's subtle, but it's it's a whole different uh, creative area and strategic area to explore. Yeah, I mean, it, it's absolutely. almost a, it's almost a little more. It makes it almost a little more generic. I mean, you've got to really own that because the why doesn't only re- relate to butter. You got to find a yeah. role for butter in it, right? Well, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the, of course, without, that's why the, the, the previous suite of work that Lurpak has created over the years is so important to what we did. If we were a brand new brand, I think it would be so much harder for us to do what we did. But because we had such equity in standing for cooking and celebrating cooking, that when you then go, okay, so this, you know, we've talked about cooking and taste, and now we're going to talk about the impact of cooking on the world rather than consumers going, oh, what, what on earth is this about? That's ridiculous. They go, oh, yeah, well, I, I get it because Lurpak's always talked about cooking. And actually, yeah, this makes total sense. This is just what Lurpak's always talked about, but sort of reframed in a slightly more uh, modern or more purposeful, you could say, way. Tell us a little bit about the early creative ideas or describe if you could, because I want to drop some of the spots in here. I mean, what, what we started with is, is this idea that, okay, then what we want to do is celebrate sort of put the cook on a pedestal what the co- put the cook and the cook's sort of impact on a pedestal that was kind of the brief um how do we bring to life the idea that the cooks are, are doing these things and actually credit to uh i mean tom bender and tom corcoran um amazing creators um very quickly got to this this thought that almost immediately became the work like we we did have some other ideas on the table but i think everyone gravitated towards this one quite quite quickly they had this line um if everyone was a cook the world would be a better place uh which was just part of a kind of just a slide in the deck of a creative setup and it was like wow yeah that's actually a really nice summation and and from that they very quickly got to the to the idea and line of where there are cooks there is hope which kind of captured the you know, had a nice sort of play on the sort of standard lurpak epicness that we try and capture but also delivered the kind of cooking doing good in a really natural way that didn't feel too overzealous but man does that feel lofty though if everyone was a cook the world would be a better place yeah wow what is well, what, what <laughs> well, does that literally it, mean you know what i mean that sounds like it's an environmental uh you know sustainability message is it was it partly there or was it that's what it feels like right that line does <laughs> i think it's, it's interesting you say that i mean it's one the sustainability thing is one is one of many reasons um for sure but i think it's it's always been that the, it's an interesting tension right that we that this yeah. this message is purposeful but equally we didn't want to make it seem overly over the top because we're, we're a butter it's cooking it's not it's it's not life-saving stuff but i think the thought was that all the little incremental things and reasons why cooking is good the fact that you're you know using things using things that are local to you using things that were going to go off in the back of the fridge and therefore stopping waste uh if cooking can be healthier cooking can be better for uh people around you all of these little things meant that it was true that if everyone was a cook the world would be a better place uh it would be less wasteful it would be more harmonious uh it would be like healthier uh and and there is of course with with this 
idea and the execution there there is a there's a, a little wink to it like we the whole ad is still has a touch of humor to it that we thought was really right. important to prevent it from seeming yeah, yeah. ridiculous um but it but it, but i do i do believe that we always we always believed it that that it is it is true even in its own small special way that cultural moment that you were in is that is that part of it with brexit that was always the the underlying rub that that sort of sparked a lot of it and even in the the ad itself the, the ad starts the world yeah it could do with some good yeah um, and we had a lot of conversations and arguments around how explicit we need to make that rub um, yeah because and, i mean yeah. for people for people outside of the uk who are not that familiar with with brexit we went through it here with with trump and the election in 2016 you kind of went through it with brexit um it was it was a big deal over here with Trump, but it was a huge deal over there with Brexit in the UK. I mean, it was it was it was like a civil war of of minds, um, and and it was a uh, it was a very contentious time. Absolutely, and but I think all of it there just seemed to be this that we we had the sort of hard proof that UK consumers were feeling less and less confident, but equally, uh, it's a global campaign, and we knew this had to resonate. Uh, in many different markets, and it still felt true that a combination of global and local events uh, and the kind of modern modern world meant that people weren't <laughs> weren't feeling fantastic at the time. And little yeah. did we know how things would change when the ad actually came out. So, can you describe a, a couple of your favourite spots? And then we'll drop them in. So, the, so the main piece is is the sixty second uh, where there are cooks, uh, hero AV, that's sort of the absolute core of, of the campaign, but it's, it's, it sets up the problem and the world could do with a little good. Uh, and the idea we start with a person, uh, clutching an egg in sort of a way that, and you hear the sound effects of sort of sirens and protests in the, in the way that feels like they could be at some sort of riot or, or protest, you know, we try to keep it. It's quite a quick moment, but it's trying to set the scene of tension and it, and it quickly transitions to a, to a man cracking an egg. And the line is, why throw eggs when you can scramble them, which is a, just a, a wonderful line. Again, it, it's done in a, with a sense of sort of, with a bit of humor in the in the way it's shot and in the way it's it's told. So uh, we have the lines, a cook can heal the sick, feed the masses and raise the dead, which of course, uh, cooking cannot raise the dead. But what we're seeing is someone's hung over and they get brought a massive stack of pancakes and they suddenly feel a bit better so it's it's these it's it's the exaggeration is is equally important to make it feel uh fun and and not too not too truly worthy the world yeah it could do with some good but why throw eggs when you can scramble them with a hot pan and a little love pack a cook can heal the sick, feed the masses, and raise the dead. Who else will transform nothing into everything? Turn waste into wonder, and settle feuds with a frittata. We have back of the cupboard onions to save. So choose your weapon, embrace the unwanted, and process your own food. The world needs more cooks, because where there are cooks, there is hope. Yum. So at this point then, um, 
it's coming up on March of 2020 and mm. lockdown hits in the UK. Um, yep. The campaign, I, I think, had, had been running in certain countries in Europe, but had not started running in the UK. Correct. So yeah. COVID hits, uh, everybody's going, almost most brands are going dark. Uh, what's the conversation that you guys are having with your client? Because this campaign <laughs> yeah. hasn't launched yet. Yeah, it was a crazy. It was it was pretty crazy looking back on it. Really, it was very funny because the the campaign was was all wrapped up um, that side of 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 twenty twenty. So it was it was it was well completed by then. And as you say, we got to March when the campaign was going live in the UK. It was live in a few other places, and it was it was pretty much that week where we were in the UK. We were starting to move in move indoors. Companies were saying, "I'll start work from home." Just before lockdown was sort of ordered we we had a few chats about it at various points but what always informed it was this message just felt so naturally right for because of the tension underpinning yeah. it was the same that exactly we just in the research we heard that you know people were people were having a bad time well they, they cook something it makes them feel a bit better and we're like well this is <laughs> sort of the same thing so lockdown hits you decide to go with the existing campaign maybe some yep. maybe some minor variations and it's almost as if what's happening in in society at that time with the pandemic has created the desire that the campaign was was actually designed to create right yes it, it is, it is exactly that yeah it was sort of crazy um that uh, the, the the reality perfectly reflected the campaign's message uh it was it was it was kind of uncanny and yes, the power uh, of Widen yeah. and Kennedy demonstrated once again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, well, it's it's always this weird one where you feel, of course, you know, who could have predicted how those uh, few months rolled out? I mean, absolutely no one. It was it was a crazy time, and so uh, we we were just in many ways fortunate to have the perfect message ready to go. And it's funny, people, you talk about this ad with people, and there's still a lot of people who thought it was actually sort of designed for that time yeah, because exactly, it, kept, yeah. it kept running for a for a couple of months and so much like the campaigns from other brands that followed that that were bespoke for the the feeling we just so happened to have been planning a, an approach and a message that was that then turned out to be the, the exact message that we needed to to tell people let's talk about sort of results that how uh, how did things go for you guys mm. well i mean <laughs> it was it was amazing, really, because um, the, as we've been talking about, the world just started cooking. Um, and like, and and that's partly because and baking, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. some fantastic stats around the, the the kind of occasions related to baking and baking banana bread, like trebled. You know, it was <laughs> yeah. it was ridiculous. Just everyone was like, "Oh yeah, I guess I guess I might as well bake. Might as well do something." Um, and so everyone rushed into the shops um, and bought a lot of butter. And Lurpak's immediate challenge was was keeping it on the shelves. Um, it was it was phenomenal. Um, but of course, this is this was the nature of, of of lockdown in many regards. What we did see was that we were we were able to extract a few particular findings that suggested that the campaign really did resonate and perform on a on a significant level above and beyond just being a, you know being the relevant brand in lockdown. Um, part of the reason was it was great we we did progress with the launch because 
we actually saved quite a bit of money on media. Like we had a much more efficient campaign because the price of media, the price of telly was a lot lower because everyone pulled their mm. spend. So we were able to capitalize on that, which meant a much better ROI. But even, even without that, our return on investment from an econometric perspective was was fantastic. Uh, it was one of the highest of the, the last can you Can you be specific? Um, I don't think I can. Um, okay. We won't make it up then. <laughs> but no, I what I can say is that it was it was a really it was a really successful number one of the, one of the best in the of of the last decade um, in terms of ROI. And then the other the other statistic that I I can talk about is that uh, we w- were able to look into usage data from Kantar, so how many people are baking with what products, and from that we see that particularly in baking, uh, but across the board in terms of consumption data we had phenomenal growth far beyond the the market average so when when baking bus spread margarine growth was was 40 percent, but lurpak sales grew 88 percent, so massively outperformed the, the market my last question is the uh, sort of inevitable question which is we touched on it a little bit earlier so you've you were developing this pivot this pivot in strategy from celebrating how we cook to celebrating why we cook with the with the objective of getting more people to use Lurpak and to cook uh, at home, the uh, lockdown happens, which in F, in in in, uh, in essence helps you automatically achieve that. Your campaign reinforces that and is enormously successful. Um, what's next? Do you? It seems like do you need to continue with the why, or do you go back to the how? Well, what's um, that's a really good question. I think I think the interesting thing to say, f- firstly, is that it's been really wonderful to see that through through lockdown, the habit of cooking has definitely been built. So, you, you know, these the occasions of cooking and baking skyrocketed, but the decline that followed, of course, the decline has followed because people have gone outside and done something else. But it has been it has not returned to the level it was pre-lockdown so people have discovered the good that cooking has has brought them and have stuck with it which is which is fantastic i think in terms of for the brand i think we're we're really looking forward to seeing where a kind of new angle on on cooking and food can take us i definitely think this is currently where we're what we're thinking about and where we're going to go is is how do we take the idea of where there is cooked where where there are cooks, there is hope, um, and and where we take it on to because we do want to continue to build a sense of meaning around not just taste but around the impact of cooking. All right, man, thank you so much. It's Rory Foster, Planner White and Kennedy, London. It's Lurpack. You can see the uh, creative work on our website at uh, onstrategyshowcase.com. And uh, thank you, man. Great talking with you. Thank you. Likewise. And uh, we'll see everybody on the next episode.